0: Hi, I'm Carrie. It is so satisfying in really helping people as a medical provider. I want to empower you and help you succeed at achieving health and wellness. And I know how it's done. I've seen the success over and over again in my medical practice. I've always wanted to educate and share how it's done. Stop the fad diets and stop listening to unrealistic recommendations. I went into healthcare in 1991, starting with getting my registered nurse license. I worked in healthcare for many years before deciding to go back to school, getting my advanced degree as a family nurse practitioner in 2009. As a provider, I started seeing the disparities of obesity, which really perked my interest in learning more learning how to be a better provider, learning how to take care of patients with obesity and really help them. In 2016, I decided to start my own medical weight loss program. It became so successful. I have so many patients meeting their goals, doing the happy dance out of my office, and I want to share with you how to achieve that. Let me help you. You as a patient or provider will want to know how to achieve success. I have so much to share. I'm so excited to offer this to you. So let's get started. Welcome back. I am very happy to present to you today the pathway to pleasure. So I can only imagine what you're thinking that means. But this was a very fun topic to research and put together. I think I talk about this just about with every visit with every one of my patients and how to avoid falling into the trap of addiction related to food and other substances. So let's get started. Our human body makes chemical messengers called hormones that are released from multiple glands and these hormones get taken up in our bloodstream and they act on our various organs and tissues, really essentially controlling every way our body functions and literally how we feel. We have four feel-good hormones. So I wanna go through each one of those hormones and really break each one down and talk about how they work in our body and how they affect our mood. So the first one is dopamine. This is the really feel-good hormone that our body produces. The second out of the four is serotonin. The third is endorphins. And the fourth is oxytocin. So let's talk about dopamine. So we have neurons, nerve cells, at the base of our brain that produce dopamine in a two-step process. The first is that the amino acid tyrosine is converted into another amino acid called L-DOPA. The L-DOPA undergoes another change as enzymes turn it into actual dopamine, our neurotransmitter. So dopamine can provide very intense feelings of reward. This feel-good neurotransmitter is also involved in reinforcement. That's why people become addicted. So they come back for more. They get the release of dopamine. They get an awesome response. They feel good. They feel pleasure, satisfaction, and motivation, which brings them back around to want to feel all those same sensations again. So they repeat that activity to produce more dopamine. So dopamine doesn't just cause us pleasure and feeling good, it plays major roles with other structures and mood within our body. So it helps with learning and attention. It helps with our memory and thought process. It helps regulate our mood. Movement, actual muscle movement is uh, part of the dopamine neurotransmitter that's released. It affects our heart rate, our kidney function, blood vessel fluctuation, size and shape, how we sleep. It helps with pain management and with lactation for breastfeeding. The next neurotransmitter I'm gonna talk about is serotonin. This is created at the center of our brainstem and acts on many parts of our brain and variety of functions within our body. So serotonin affects memory, fear, our stress response. It is directly correlated to depression and mood disorders, but it also helps with digestion and sexuality with sleep, believe it or not, with breathing. It it helps regulate body temperature and it is correlated to addiction. This neurotransmitter is created by another chain reaction of amino acids that turn into tryptophan, which we need tryptophan to help create serotonin. Moving on to the next neurotransmitter or otherwise feel-good hormones is endorphins. Endorphins can also release stress and create a feeling of well-being. Endorphins are our natural painkillers. Endorphins are released from our hypothalamus and pituitary gland in response to pain and stress. In that, the hypothalamus and pituitary gland are within our brain. This group of peptide hormones both relieve pain response and create a general feeling of well-being. Lastly, out of the four feel-good hormones is oxytocin. This is called the love hormone. So oxytocin is a hormone produced, again, by the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, just like endorphins, and its function is to facilitate childbirth with a contraction of the uterus during childbirth. But it is also released um, as a response to many other things in our life. So it, is, it has the nickname as being the love drug. It's released with massage and touch, hugs, sexual arousal, and a feeling of love. Even when you feel in love, you're around a loved one, you smile, you admire them, oxytocin is released. So it's called the cuddle hormone or the love hormone, but it can be released in other things such as exercise, martial arts, or wrestling, or competitive sports. Anything with a group kind of signage where you're feeling the love and support of others around you, even in a competitive nature, oxytocin is released. It helps with bonding. So with each hormone I talked about what their purpose in our body and how they direct our mood and our release to help us and really provide us with well-rounded health and well-being. But sometimes our systems go haywire. And when we get too much of a good thing, it's not it's not good for us. So too much of dopamine and some of these other feel-good hormones make us more competitive, we can be overly aggressive, we have poor impulse control, and it could lead to some mental health and mood disorders such as ADHD or be a component, component of, binge eating disorder, addictions, gambling, And really, these are the hormones, when we have excess of them, these are the folks that are the thrill seekers. They have lots of dopamine and other endorphins and circulating hormones, and they get just this big rush. So they already have this higher level of hormone therapy naturally in their body, but then they get this intense rush when they do extreme sensational things and and thrill-seeking. So too little of these feel-good hormones also can lead to other disease processes and mood disorders. Too little of dopamine um, is what causes Parkinson's disease. It causes the stiff movements seen when patients have Parkinson's, they have the real jerky kind of toe stepping, pin rolling with their fingers, and this is directly related to the nerve cell that produces dopamine and it gradually dies. Current treatment for Parkinson's is to replace the dopamine to help this process slow down. So some of the other detrimental things that happen with too little of these feel-good hormones are linked to many mental illnesses such as depression. Depression is thought of having a lack of serotonin. Also some other mental health disorders such as schizophrenia, psychosis, bipolar disease. It can lead to lack of motivation And really a lack of excitement about getting motivated to do anything or finding joy in doing anything is when our natural bodies do not produce enough of these neurotransmitters. People who have a natural lower level of dopamine in their body may be actually more prone to addiction. They need higher and higher levels of dopamine to achieve the desired effect that they're looking for. When they participate in gambling or shopping or overuse of alcohol or illicit drugs, they may initially get a response of dopamine, but eventually they need more and more and more of that product or scenario or participation or intake of to get the dopamine response. So those folks are just at a higher rate to develop addiction. Now I'm sure you're probably thinking about yourself. Like how is your mood? How do you respond to things? Do you have an addiction? Do you have a dirty little secret that you haven't told anybody about? (laughs) Or are you very open and participate or overly indulge in things that you probably shouldn't? Some of the things that we can identify and kind of really do a self-evaluation if we have um, high or level lowers of these neurotransmitters is really taking a good look at our self and our mental health and how is our mood? How's our overall mood? Are we generally positive and happy? Or are we generally very low feeling, lack of motivation, fatigue? all that kind of stuff. The other things that contribute to our neurotransmitter production is stress. Stress is a big thing. So chronic stress releases all sorts of bad hormones, which will suppress our feel-good hormones. And then there is sleep. If we're not getting at least seven hours of really good sleep a night, that's what the sleep research says, a human adult needs to get at least seven hours a night to help our body repair and get ready for the next day. This is how our immune system kicks in, helps process and get rid of our free radicals. We kind of get a reset with good sleep. So if we're chronically suffering from insomnia or interrupted sleep, uh, we're going to have a decrease in our neurotransmitters, such as those feel-good hormones. Other things that would contribute to a depression of neurotransmitters is eating too much sugar or saturated fat. The process of metabolism and all of that really depresses some of those neurotransmitters. And lastly is obesity, believe it or not. A lot of folks who suffer from obesity have suppressed dopamine and endorphin levels. And this is something that I try to help my patients kind of focus on. There's lots of techniques that I'm gonna go over to help try to stimulate the release of these feel-good hormones. Let's go back and talk about dopamine. Dopamine, if you remember, is a neuron at the base of the brain that produces dopamine in a two-step process by using amino acids. So that first process was tyrosine, and then it's converted into another amino acid called L-DOPA. The L-DOPA then further is broken down with an enzyme reaction which produces dopamine. So L-tyrosine can be found In many foods, we can naturally increase our dopamine production with our L-tyrosine intake. There are lots of foods that produce L-tyrosine, such as almonds, avocados, bananas, beef, chicken, all the dairy products such as cheese and yogurt, eggs, vitamin D, magnesium, omega-3, and pumpkin seed, sesame seeds. And there is some research saying that soy and turmeric contain L-tyrosine, which therefore would increase our dopamine levels. Let's talk about serotonin. Is there any way we can get natural serotonin in our diet? In review, serotonin comes from our brainstem, but it affects and acts on many parts of our brain in a very different way than dopamine does. And serotonin crosses the blood-brain barrier, meaning that getting L-tryptophan, which is the food that helps the amino acid breakdown to create serotonin, is a little bit more difficult trying to get that into our daily diet. L-tryptophan, as you guys may know, Uh, When we come and have Thanksgiving dinner and eat that big turkey meal, we get super tired and wanna lay on the couch and that's because of L-tryptophan or just tryptophan itself. So the L means that it's the pure amino acid. It's not attached to a chain of other amino acids. Tryptophan just simply by eating turkey It does not get across the blood-brain barrier like it should or like we would want it to because of all the other amino acids in the foods that we eat and how they're broken down. Other amino acids are taken up and absorbed by our neurons much quicker than tryptophan is. So therefore, just simply eating turkey, trying to get that tryptophan induction does not happen very well or efficiently just by eating turkey. Suggestion is is that you eat a more complex carbohydrate diet, such as fresh fruits, vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. As those products are being broken down, your body is focusing on breaking down those products and allowing the natural tryptophan to cross the blood-brain barrier and to turn into serotonin. So you gotta kind of waylay our metabolic system and let these other things take priority and then the L-tryptophan will become its true source of tryptophan and turn into serotonin. There are products on the market for supplementation to help increase serotonin. There are many products out there. Um, One of the supplements that is readily available over-the-counter is called 5-HTP. But you have to be cautious with supplements because if you are not consulting a doctor who specializes in this or a provider that specializes in this and you take these supplements, you can actually make your mood worse. Supplements aren't usually needed if you have an adequate dietary intake, eating the whole rainbow, basically eating all your food groups, eating the whole rainbow. If you can't eat the whole rainbow and you are deficient or you have some other disease processes that are suppressing these neurotransmitters, then potentially a supplement may be needed, but under the supervision of somebody that is very experienced with this and could guide you. And also you have to take caution with supplements as they can interact with many other pharmacologic medications such as mood stabilizer drugs and cause pretty serious interaction called serotonin syndrome. So if you're taking any other medication you want to try a supplement, please consult your doctor or provider. You will see L-tyrosine supplement um, added to protein powders or smoothie shakes, that kind of stuff. The 5-HTP you have to purchase as a pill or a tablet, or there's some other forms. And tryptophan itself is a trickier one. They took, uh, FDA took tryptophan off of the market in 1989 as a supplement as over 10,000 people got a very serious life-threatening illness called EMS, and that's eosinophilic myalgia syndrome, which can affect the muscles, skin, and lungs, and cause liver damage and nerve deterioration. This is a very rare condition, but there was several fatalities, that's why they had pulled tryptophan as a supplement off of the market. The United States FDA has allowed tryptophan to be sold once again as a supplement, but I can't uh, stress enough to be cautious with this. There is good news as far as tryptophan goes. So I said, you know, eating that general diet, kind of getting your body to focus on metabolizing those other, other nutrients that you just ate but there are tryptophan foods out there that specifically have higher levels of tryptophan, which is chocolate, dried dates, tofu, meats, and cheeses. There's options to raise your tryptophan. All the data that I have represented so far has come from Harvard Health Institute as well as the National Institutes of Health NIH program. The NIH actually did a study on the effects of tyrosine and tryptophan supplements in mice. The conclusion was that the group of mice that had added amino acids of tryptophan and tyrosine, who ate a high carbohydrate, high fat diet, had behavioral reactions and characterizations that developed obesity, liver damage, altered nitrogen metabolism and altered levels of ratios of hormones such as leptin and ghrelin which make us hungry or satisfied. Felt that that study group, it was harmful for the effects for them to have taken those supplements in addition to the high carb, high fat diet. The other study group that did not eat the high carb, high fat diet that had just the supplements There was no difference in synthesis or degradation of dopamine or serotonin that they could measure. So really the outcomes were inconclusive as far as taking the supplements and they weren't detrimental, but it didn't show real benefit either to take them as well. All right, so just to recap, so I talked about pathways to pleasure and all those feel-good hormones how we release them, who doesn't release enough, foods and supplements that can help us release, contraindications of too high, too low, all that kind of stuff. Now let's get into hyper palatable foods is one of the hot topics because there are lots of things and I'm gonna to touch on all of them that release these neurotransmitters But in my clinical practice with medical weight loss, I hear this over and over again that people who avoid certain foods for a while and then they go to a party or a special occasion or something and they eat these hyper palatable foods and then they say, you know, they felt great when they ate it. The next day for a few hours, they did not feel well. But by that evening, they had very strong cravings to repeat that food. They were starting to crave it every day. And so this really is a very true realistic thing is eating these hyper palatable foods trigger these intense endorphins to be released give us that just satisfaction and that happy feeling. And we just want to keep having more and more and more. So there was a research study done by Tara Fazino, assistant professor of psychology at the University of Kansas. In 2020, he led a study that was published in the Journal of Obesity about hyperpalatable foods. He found out that of course all foods are not created equal and there was certain food groups that created a synergistic key effect that put the enhanced flavors of two or three different products together that really releases our feel-good hormones. And so with his research, he discovered a link specifically between sugar, salt, fat, or carbohydrates that activates the brain reward neural circuit similar to the drugs just like cocaine and opioids so the rewards of food leading to addictive food behaviors overeating binge eating are directly related to combining these hyper palatable food products Foods that are highly rewarding, easily accessible, and cheap are everywhere in our society, and unsurprisingly, eating them has led to obesity in our nation. He documented that at least 15 to 20 years ago that food companies have developed formulas to intentionally increase the palatability of our food, enticing us to eat it. He even mentioned dietary foods such as dietary supplements and protein bars have a combination of some of these things that make us wanna come back for more. Certain foods that are clustered together to make them more palatable, taste much better. He identified four different things. So when you add fat and sodium together to make up more than 25% of the total product of whatever you're eating, that becomes hyper palatable. For instance, bacon and pizza are examples. Then if you add fat and simple sugars that take up 20% of that food product, such as simple sugars like cake and brownies, because they're fat and sugar, are hyper palatable. Then carbohydrates and sodium that make up over 40% of that food product, such as buttered popcorn, are hyper palatable. With this information, he went even further to evaluate the Federal Survey on Nutrition and Health, the database that contains over 7,700 food items within the U.S. He found out that over 60% of these foods met the criteria of hyper-palatability. Among them, 70% were in fat and sodium clusters, including many of the meats, the meat-prepared dishes, omelets and cheese dips. Another 25% fell into the fat and simple sugar clusters, including sweets and desserts, such as Glazed carrots and other vegetables cooked in fat and sugar. And finally, 16% were in the carbohydrate sodium cluster, which consisted of carbohydrate dense meals like pizza, plus breads like cheesy breads, cereals, snack foods, etc. Our society has set us up <laughs> to become addicted, which is terrible. <laughs> There are lots of other things that release these feel-good hormones other than food. And so I talk to my patients about this as far as what are your rewards? Let's try to really think about mindful eating, what your trigger is with that food, what your relationship is with that food. Why are you reaching for the food? Are you really hungry or not? And let's identify some other healthier coping mechanisms so you don't reach for the food as a reward. Dopamine and other of those feel-good hormones can be released by a number of things. Exercise. Exercise releases a huge amount of dopamine and they call it the runner's high. So sometimes I have to caution my patients not to over-exercise because literally they are addicted to exercise. Other things such as sexual intercourse and intimacy play a big role in releasing feel-good hormones. Physical touch is really important. That releases oxytocin plus the dopamine sensors. Winning a game or earning money can lead to gambling. Shopping, retail therapy, right? (laughs) Hoarding. I mean, sometimes we get addicted to, oh, I got such a good deal, I had to buy it. I really didn't need it, but I had to buy it. Or I have three of them at home, kind of thing. <laughs> so eating eating, and smelling food is a reward, it triggers reward. But there are other non-food-like things that trigger that feel-good sensation. How about music? Playing music, singing, dancing, that releases dopamine. Working on puzzles, doing artwork or crafts, visual things that look appealing to us, flowers that look beautiful and they smell good. Some people are addicted to work. You know, they release hormones because they get that sensation that they are on top of the world, on top of their game, and they just gotta go, go, go. Laughter is so important. Laughter, being in love, being around people who love you, even positive thoughts such as really sitting back and appreciating all the things that you have, all the things that you've achieved, and all the things that are potential to come. So it's important to set goals to have things to look forward to. Other things, acupuncture, meditation, all of that really does release feel-good hormones. And believe it or not, even cursing, (laughs) saying the F-bomb releases feel-good hormones. There's lots of research I was reading about that says cursing or the (laughs) F-bomb releases just this tiny little naughty sensation (laughs) that you feel good, you feel like you're a rebel, you just, you know, release the (laughs) F-bomb. But when you release it too much, so people who overuse cursing and profanity, they do not get the same pleasure and sensation as somebody who is more conservative and they use cursing or profanity very intermittently in an acceptable social situation. It does release feel-good hormones. So on the flip side, you want everything in moderation. How do you know if you have an addiction or if you're kind of flirting with an addiction? Some of the signs of an addiction or addictive behavior is when you repeat a behavior even when it has a negative outcome. So if you repeat a behavior such as gambling and you lose your money and you're not winning, but you repeat the behavior, If you repeat a behavior such as overeating, then you feel sick and not well or you vomit, but then you repeat that behavior the next day. Addiction is a very powerful thing that releases these hormones and it's very hard to fight. So alcohol, illicit drugs, overuse of sex or spending, anything like that. So if you feel unable to control yourself or your actions, you probably have an addiction. If you cannot stop and walk away, if you repeat the behavior over and over without even thinking about it, it, you, you didn't give it a second thought, you probably are flirting with an addiction. And if you have very strong urges to do that behavior and you have to talk yourself down, or you just give in over and over again, that is the definition of addiction. But there are lots of things that help release those hormones in a very positive way. All right, let's put it all together, right? So we talked about Pathways to Pleasure, all of our feel-good hormones, the good, the the bad, and the ugly, how we can try to promote those feel-good hormones um, naturally, and how to try to suppress them. Pulling it all together really is healthy ways of increasing those hormones instead of unhealthy ways. So we need to focus on alternative coping mechanisms, really simple self-care, not using food, drugs, alcohol, or other things as a reward. You know, there are pleasures in life just sitting, looking out the window, pausing for 30 seconds before you get out of your car when you pull up to work, appreciate the beauty around you, listening to the birds singing, holding someone's hand, being with friends, release awesome, good feel hormones. So there's so many things out there other than going down the rabbit hole of becoming addicted. And so this is a very big part of my program, is identifying any type of addictive behavior and trying to help my patients come up with other ways to reroute that energy and to get a positive spin on it. Just one more funny little fact. In Psych Central, it was published in 2017 about cursing. that it actually is related to surprising health benefits. It helps with pain relief. It's a nonviolent outlet. It's harmless and humorous as a coping mechanism. It deflates some of your threatened uh, sensations. You feel powerful and in control when you could curse. Social bonding, sometimes in appropriate settings, It has psychological and physical health benefits, and it's an outlet for self-expression and creativity within limitations. So that naughty little voice inside that gives you just a little twinge of feeling like you violated the rules, but really not offending anybody terribly, is okay. But remember, With your rebellious side, you do not want to go overboard with cursing. You don't want to become crude or crass or hurt anybody's feelings. You have to assess the environment and the situation that you're in. You don't want to be like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, where literally every other word is the F-bomb. But every now and then, You can express yourself and let that little devil inside of you get away with it and release some dopamine. So again, this is another piece of the puzzle to health and wellness. We need our feel good hormones, but as you can see, they have to be in the right balance. Hopefully with that, I made you release some dopamine today. Talk to you soon.